Our God is great. You know, yesterday we had a fantastic time. Thank you to all of you who came out to the Big Dig. It was kind of like a construction expo. And a friend of the church donated us space so that we could have a booth there. So we set up a booth and we handed out water, had conversations with people in the community. So thank you all for helping there. Thanks for representing uh, City View. And more important, thanks for representing Jesus. You know, as we look forward, as we face into the fall, and you know, so many things are launching up now, we always have to remember why we're here and what we're called to do. God has called us to make disciples. And we don't want that to just be religious terminology. When we're making disciples, we are helping people take the next step towards knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. And as we do this, that is our mission. That's the mission of the church with a capital C. All believers are called to be doing that. And here at City View, we desire to be a church family that builds one another up, that blesses our community, and then sends people out for God's work in our backyard and all around the world. And yesterday, we were representing Jesus in our backyard, so way to go. This is what we aspire to be here at City View. But you know, sometimes things hold us back from experiencing all that God has for us and doing the things that he's called us to do. So we're looking at some worship disorders, and to do that, we've gone to the book of Malachi. So you can turn there, either on your phones or if you have a paper Bible, you can do that. Um, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It was written about 400 years before uh, Jesus was born. And the situation is this. The people of God had settled back into the land, and they were kind of comfortable. Things were going pretty well for them, and they were thinking they were doing all right. They looked good on the outside, but their hearts, unfortunately, were far from God. Last week, we've looked at a couple of worship disorders that we found earlier in chapters 1 and chapter 2. The first one we looked at was leftover syndrome. And this worship disorder is where we just kind of give God what's left over, what we don't particularly want or need. It's no big deal for us to give him what we weren't going to use anyway. And back then, the way that was shown was people bought um, blemished sacrifices to God, whereas God says, I want your best. Last week, we looked at cheating heart, cheating heart syndrome. You know, it's uh, idolatry and adultery sound very similar in our language, and the concepts are the same. God's people were cheating on him. They were going after other gods. God said, why would you need anyone or anything else? Look at all I've done for you. Look at who I am. Why would you settle for an idol? Why would you settle for something that is a distant second place in a two-way race? But we do that. We think other things will fulfill us and give us what we need. We talked about that last week. So let me set the scene for this third worship disorder that God is going to bring up with his people. Because again, his people were kind of living at the time in suburban comfort. They were thinking, we're not that bad. We're going through the motions. We go to our religious services. We do what we're told to. And some would even do it down to the, you know, to the tiny you know, dot on an I and a cross on a T. They just kept the details. But God said, your hearts are far from me. In Malachi, in chapter 3, it says this in verse 6. For I, the Lord, don't change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God's reminding his people that because he is great and he is faithful, he keeps his promises. And when God says he is going to sustain his people, he's going to do it, no matter what his people are like. 
God's saying, because I'm faithful, I will look out for you and I will still watch over you. But the reason that you are experiencing this benefit is not because you deserve it. It's because I'm faithful and I love you and I care about you. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? God is saying here, he's going back to the book of Deuteronomy when the people entered into the promised land and he laid out for them, this is what you need to do for blessing. This will happen if you don't do it. People's hearts are far from God. And they're saying, wait a minute, we're going through the motions. We look good on the outside. God is saying, but that's really not what I'm looking for. And so he's already called them out on leftover syndrome, and he's already called them out for cheating on him. Then he says this, verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God says, you're robbing me. You're stealing from me. That's pretty harsh. You know, our money habits are the truest indicator of our worship. Our money habits are the truest indicator of where our heart is. 400 years after the book of Malachi was written, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. The people were comfortable, but they really weren't content. It's kind of like Northern Virginia. They've got really what they need, but they wanted more. And so they thought that if we can shortchange God, because no one really knows what's going on there, then we can kind of keep more to ourselves. And God calls them out on it. Giving financially to the Lord reflects the difference between lip service and heart worship. And God is always more concerned with our hearts than what we look like on the outside. After calling them out on this, though, God offers them hope. In verse 10, he says this, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's pretty incredible. God says, hey guys, put the whole tithe, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, bring the whole tithe to the temple and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and bless you more than you can dream or imagine. That's an amazing promise gets misunderstood in some ways, but that's an amazing promise and that, that's what we need to cling to. Because when we give to God, we are releasing control. We like to think that we can control things by, and our finances are our truest indicator of that because they're our security for retirement. They're kind of what gives us status in this world. You can have, drive a certain car. You can live in a certain house. It's power. It's control. Money is important to us. We may not say it out loud how important we think it is, but underneath, it really drives us. And so God is saying, I am testing your faith here. Will you trust me? 
You know, I think back to the time where Jesus fed 5,000 men. Now, incidentally, in that passage, it says 5,000 males, which means there was probably a crowd of over 10,000 people that got fed by Jesus. And so here's the scenario, and you can read up on it later on. It's in John chapter 6. It's in several other places in the Gospels. But Jesus is preaching to a crowd, and that crowd is thousands. And you all complain when I go on for a half hour, but Jesus was going on for hours and hours, and they were getting hungry. They were ready to eat. And the disciples wanted to do the, the, the easiest thing for them. They said, just, just send the people away, Jesus. Just send the people away. But Jesus cared about their needs. They said, no, let's feed them. And the disciples said, huh? You feed them. We, we don't have anything. Well, Jesus said, go bring me some food, and then let's see what happens. And so there was a boy in the crowd, and he had five loaves, and two fish. And when we hear that story over and over again, we can kind of be numb to it. But I want you to think about this. This was not a wealthy culture that Jesus was living in. This was probably that boy's family's meals for more than a day. It was something really important to them. Maybe the boy had gone to a market stall and he was walking home with the food, and he saw the commotion with Jesus and the crowds and says, I want to check this out. And so he's there, kind of not quite sure why he's there. And then the food that he's entrusted with to bring home to his family, Jesus says, I need that. I can't imagine what he was thinking. How am I going to tell my parents? I, I, no, no, sir, you don't understand. We need this for, for tomorrow's meals. But the master said, give me what you've got. And that boy didn't say, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you two of the loaves. Let me hang on to three because we got a few meals to eat tomorrow. The boy gave it all to Jesus. And with all that food, Jesus fed thousands of people. You see, we think with our resources, if we could hang on to them, they'll last us for just what we need. But we don't see that when we give what we have to Jesus, he can do immeasurably more with it than we ever could. Those five loaves and two fish meant everything to that boy. It was his family's survival for that week. If you take that away from us, we're going to go hungry. We're going to starve. Jesus says, will you just trust me? And when I ask you to do something, will you do it? And Jesus delivered in a way that was greater than anyone could have imagined. Jesus not only fed that boy, but he fed thousands of others. And in the same way, God is saying to us, will you give to me what I'm calling you to give to me? Will you trust me that I can do much more with it than you could ever dream? Will you trust me? Giving is an important discipline in the Christian life. And it's something that God wants us to do just out of gratitude because he's given us his son. He's already given us everything. And he says, I'm calling you to give back to me. And I'm calling you when you give back to me to just watch and be amazed at how I can do so much more with your resources than you could 
by yourself. When you put something into God's hands, he can do amazing things with it. But money is control, and money is power, and we don't like to let go of any of those things. It's not the kind of thing that we like to stand up in front of church world and say, I really count on my money for my ego and for how good it makes me feel and how it makes me feel like I'm in control. But it's kind of like a whisper of defeat that we want to hang on to what we've got because we're not really confident that God can deliver and follow through on his promises. But when God calls his people out for their stinginess and for stealing on him, he also gives them hope. God doesn't just say, you're stealing from me so he can give them a hard time and make them feel bad and make them feel rotten. He says, let me give you some hope. Let me show you that when you do what I tell you to do, when you trust me, when you literally put your money where your faith is, when you do that, I will bless you more than you can imagine. So it's counterintuitive to give our money away because we're taught to hang on to it, to invest it for us because in the end of the day, no one's going to look out for us except us. And we as Christians forget that God says, wait a minute, I'm your provider. I'm the one who will look out for you. I've given you everything you have and I expect you to use it for my glory. Not to hang on to it and to hoard for it and to hoard it and to think that it's all up to you. God says the money's nothing. I will take care of your needs. I've already told you I'd do that. So I'm asking you to step out on faith and give to me. He goes on in verse 11. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you and so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. God is saying, you know, all those things that eat away at your crops, this was an agricultural society, I can keep them away. I'm a Lord of everything on this planet. I can make sure that you have enough crops. So don't think that you've got to hang on to it so you've got enough. Give to me first, and then I'll take care of the rest. God says, I'll take care of the devourers, and then God says this, I want the nations to see that I bless my people. God is not honored. God is not glorified when we, his people, go around with long faces, complaining that we don't have what we want or, or we live in abject poverty. God says, I want to bless you so that people will see that I take care of my own. This is our God. This is the third worship disorder that he calls his people out for in Malachi. Leftover syndrome, cheating heart, and then stealing. God says, if you don't give to me what I call you to give to me, that's stealing. And no one is going to brag about stealing from God. But the temptation is there for all of us to say, you know, economy's looking kind of uncertain. You know, I better... God says, relax, I'm greater than the economy. Will you trust me with what I, what I have given you? Will you trust me with that to give me some back so that I can do amazing things? 
I think it's significant in this passage also that this is not a quid pro quo. You know, if you ever hear a televangelist or a preacher saying, if you give X amount, then you will get this back, run. Because God doesn't necessarily say, I will give you money if you give me money. He says, I'll pour out my blessing on you. And it may be money. I guarantee you this, it is he will not withhold anything you need. He might give you contentment with what you have. Because, you know, the thing is, in wealthy cultures like ours, most people are kind of still not really content with what they have. You go to other places in the world, they look at what we have here, and they say, this is Tinseltown. How can you not be happy? Yeah, but my neighbor has this. Or my friends get to do that. You will never have enough money. And another prophet in the book of uh, Haggai talks about you putting money into your pockets that have holes in them. It's like you have all this stuff, but it doesn't truly satisfy you. And God says, if you will release to me, and he calls his people to tithe. We'll talk about that in a minute. If you will release it to me, I will pour out blessing on you. It's not a get-rich-quick Ponzi scheme where God says, if you give me 10%, you just wait. I'll give you 30% back. He didn't say that. He might, but he didn't have to. But he does promise blessing and contentment because God is not so concerned with the actual dollars and cents. He's concerned about our heart. When we hold on to the money that we think is ours, we have a close heart towards God. And God is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust that I care about you more than you care about yourself? Will you trust me that I will provide for all of your needs? But I want you to open your hands and release to me. It's very counterintuitive, but God calls his people to be countercultural. So this whole idea of tithing, tithing, giving money to the Lord, what's it all about? You know, I find in churches there tend to be two extremes. There are churches which just love to talk about money because it's a great fundraiser to talk about money. And there are other churches that don't talk about it at all. But it's something we need to talk about because we use money every day. It's part of everyday life. And God has some things he tells us about money. And so we need to learn what the Scripture says and do what the Scriptures say. So tithing. Let me first of all say this up front. I don't get a cut of the tithing receipts here, okay? So it's not like on, the, you know, on any particular Sunday, you know, that Jason and I go, whoa, man, this is a banner day. It's steak for lunch. It's nothing like that. The way things operate right here is we want to have all of our financial deals open to scrutiny. We don't want to be one of these organizations which keeps everything secretive and, and buried away in there. We want to be open and transparent. We want God honored in the way we manage everything. The way that giving works here is the majority of our income, if you will, giving comes uh, through online giving. We're grateful for all of you who support. And then some comes in through the offering box back there, and sometimes uh, checks will get mailed in. We're grateful for your support um, in all that you do. So tithing, what is it? Tithing literally means 10%, but you know it means more than 10% too. So tithing 
First of all, it's explicit in the Old Testament. The concept of tithing comes up approximately 37 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. First time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 14, verse 10, and that's very significant because that is before the law was given. You know, sometimes Christians will say, well, you know, that was all part of the Old Testament law. I can ignore it. That's not true. Genesis chapter 14 happened before the law was given. Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek after a battle. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 14. But under the law, there was an elaborate system of tithes, which when they tally up, come to about 23, 24%, somewhere around in there. The main tithe, first of all, was for the Levites, those who maintained the temple or the tabernacle and the temple and then the, the worship realm of things. That was an ongoing tithe. Secondly, there was a tithe for religious festivals. Every once in a while, religious had, uh, Israel had different things, whether it be once a year or once every three years, once every seven years, and then there's one every 49 years. Major festivals. That an additional tithe was put forward to people. And then thirdly, there was the charity tithe. That was looking out for those who are needy. And when you add these up, they come up to around 23%. So God talks about tithing explicitly all through the Old Testament. But it is also implicit in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus said this in Luke 11, uh, verse 42, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. So Jesus is saying, yes, you should tithe, but at the same time, don't just tithe and then have a heart that's far from God. It's a both-and thing. But Jesus affirms tithing there. Later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Bible refers back to the Old Testament way of tithing, for this is kind of the way things are now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, it says, Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Scripture's clearly taking an Old Testament principle and applying it in the New Testament. So tithing is explicitly laid out in the Old Testament, and it's implicit throughout the New Testament. But then that should make us wonder, why? It would be so much easier if God just added a verse to the Bible and said, thou shalt give X percent. Therefore, it's settled. It's done. But that's not how grace operates. God wants to challenge our thinking. He wants to challenge our hearts. Why isn't tithing explicitly stated in the New Testament? First of all, I think it's one of those things that a first century Christian would have said, well, Duh, it's so obvious. Why does it even need to be repeated? I think the clear intent of Scripture is that God brings that concept through to the New Testament. 
But as we operate under grace today, I think another way to look at it is if God said, thou shalt give 10%, most of us at the end of a paycheck period or before we pay our taxes would calculate exactly 10% and say to ourselves, God isn't getting a penny more. God just gets this. And I think God leaves it open-ended in a sense so that we would be thinking the tithe is a good place to start, but God has given me so much. Why would I stop here? God calls his people to be generous. You can't say you're godly if you're stingy because God is generous in every way with his people. You know, when, when, God ta- when Scripture talks about the grace of God, it uses terms like extravagant. It uses, uh, God lavishes it on us. It doesn't say that God gives us just a tiny little bit of grace. God errs on the side of generosity with us. And so if we want to be like him, we need to err on the side of generosity. So I don't think tithing is explicitly prescribed in the New Testament because if it was, it would be an out for us to want to hold on to more. Whereas God says, look, err on the side of generosity. So you give 10.1%, that's fine. So you give 20%, that's fine. I've given you everything already. I'm not calling you to give more than I've given you. But some people still like to come back and say, yeah, but we're not under the law, we're under grace. Come on now. But I think whenever I've had this conversation with people, I think it reflects a poor understanding of grace on their part. Because I think if we truly grasp grace, we'd be like, 10%, that's it? God's given me everything, and this is it? We would want to give him more when we realize that God has given us so much. And then when we go back to the heart of God where he says, I want to bless my people, but for me to bless you, I need to see that you're going to take some steps to trust me. Because I would love to bless you with more if I can trust you to use it well. But if you're just going to hang on to it and use it for yourself and your own greed, why would I want to bless you with more? God blesses us so that we can in turn bless others. Remember, as a church family, We want to bless our community and the outlying areas. God blesses us so that we can bless others, not just so that we can hoard to ourselves. Tied in also with this grace conference, this uh, whole idea of grace is the question of, um, does God want me to tithe on pre-tax or after-tax? And I think that that's really a misunderstanding of grace too because God says, just err on the side of generosity. You can't go wrong. Do you want more or less blessing? It's your call, guys. I think if we're going to get, you know, all nodded up of, okay, do I give pre-tax or post-tax? That's a poor understanding of grace. What do I say? How can I give to God so that it has the greatest impact for his glory in our community and all around the world. Oh, and as a byproduct of that, I'll also get blessed. I mean, we can't go wrong when we trust God. God wants us to give cheerfully. 
I think if it was written, thou shalt give X percent, many of us through clenched teeth would be going, can't get out of it. I'm going to write the check for X amount. Whereas God is saying, look, I've given you everything already. I love you. I've secured your eternal inheritance. I want to bless you. The response of pure worship is one of, Lord, all I have is yours. How can I be generous to you and those in need? The best measure of our giving is what's left in our hand. Best measure of of our giving is what's left in our hand. You know, and I know the tax man cometh, but bear with me for this illustration. For a millionaire to tithe, you're still left with 900,000. Whereas for someone in this area trying to make it on 45 or 50K, that's sacrificial. So God knows, don't get knotted up on what percentage it is. If God has been generous with you, he expects you to be generous back to him and reflect his attitude and his character to the world all around us. I believe that when God calls us to tithe to the storehouse, and back in the day that was the temple, I believe today that would be the local church. I think there are other things we can give to as well, which I think we ought to do on top of, and that would be to missionaries, to different Christian organizations. And then thirdly, I'd also say to the poor and those who are needy. God calls us to be generous. And you know, I've found you just cannot outgive God. You really can't. He will provide. You know, we need to live our lives in such a way that there's really no human explanation for us. And I would challenge all of us, as we think through our personal finances, there ought to be no human explanation for how God provides needs in unexpected ways. I could tell you a number of stories just that we've seen God step up in our lives where we've had things given to us that we weren't expected or... and. God delivers. You can't outgive him. He will always take care of us. Giving is not something that we think of in and of itself. It's an indicator of our heart and how much we're willing to trust God. So how should we think about money and about giving? Three wise choices. And, you know, I'm really glad to see some of our youth in here And I want to challenge you as you're in the early days of where you're starting to make money and you're going to be making more later on in life, build on these habits. Because what you do with your money is part of your worship. It's not something we say, okay, worship I do on Sunday mornings or I do at youth group or wherever it might be. It's something I do with all my life. Build on these habits right here. Three wise choices. First of all, generosity. Choose to be generous. Choose generosity over hoarding. And God says, look, it's mine anyway. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That includes your bank account. So God is saying, you're my manager. Use it well. And I'll provide all you need. Don't worry about it. But choose generosity over hoarding. It's not my money. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is say, well, here's what I'm going to do with my money. Stop. It ain't your money. It's God's money. And he calls us to honor him with it. 
Don't hang on to what's God's when God says, I want you to release it. Be generous, just as I'm generous with you. And you watch and see that I will bless you in ways that you could never have imagined. Second choice would be contentment. Choose contentment. And I think that's a really important thing, especially here in Nova, where we are, we've been called the land of the self-important. Everyone is after status and so on, but choose contentment. The Bible says uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. There are a lot of people around us here in Nova that have a lot more than us. And I can guarantee you, they're not as happy as they look on the outside. If the stuff that this world has to offer is what you think will make you happy and satisfy you, you're wrong. Choose contentment. Choose to be content with what you have. Some of you may hit it big in terms of career earnings. Others, not so. But God says, don't compare yourself with others. I will give you what you need. I will take care of you, and I will bless you. But choose contentment. And contentment is something we have to teach ourselves. It doesn't come naturally. The Apostle Paul said this in the book of Philippians. He, was, he really wrote it to them because he was is a thank you note for a gift that they had given him. And he says this, I've learned to be content in all my circumstances. So contentment doesn't come naturally. It's a choice, and it's something that we need to learn. So with our money, choose to be generous, because it's God's money, it's not ours. Choose to be generous. Choose contentment. And then choose eternity over today. Choose eternity over today. So much stuff we chase after in this world, and we think, oh, once I get this, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. There's a whole book in the Bible written about it, Ecclesiastes. You ought to read it sometime. Um, You will not be content with all this stuff we have because the more stuff you have, the more you have to worry about it. It's like, oh, great, I need to get this insured. Oh, what did this happen? It brings a whole lot of worries with it. So don't think that piling up stuff here in this world is going to give you what you need. Jesus challenged us to invest in heaven where moth and rust and cyber crimes or whatever, none of it, no one can steal what you invest in heaven. Investing in heaven is choosing to use the money that God has entrusted to us and invest it in the causes that matter to him. When we invest in eternity, you can change the direction of people's lives. When you invest in eternity, you experience blessings here. You know, there's a uh, story that Jesus told, a parable in the, uh, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 12, and this is the rich fool. And the rich fool is like a lot of people around us. It was a guy who said, you know, I'm doing pretty well in life here. I think I ought to build a bigger barn for all the money I have. He was doing great. But what he didn't know is that that night, God was going to say, I'm calling you home. I'm calling you out of this world. And you know what the Bible says about him? Fool. You fool. 
to think that what this world had to offer would give you what you really want and really need. Don't be foolish. Say, Lord, what I have is yours. Use it for your glory. And when we release to God, he will give us that contentment. Tithing is an important discipline, but it's really something that should be done out of the overflow of grateful hearts. For Lord, I can't believe you've given me so much. If this is all you want, this is too easy. Lord, you've given me so much. I want to be generous with you. And God says, I will pour out blessing. Remember, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It doesn't necessarily mean if you give X amount of dollars that God is going to give you a guaranteed return rate on it. But what he will guarantee is blessing and contentment. And you're either going to say, I didn't need that money anyway, or God is going to provide for that need in a different way, or God's going to say, wow, I can trust you with a little. I'm going to drop some more into you so that you'll invest it wisely in the things that matter to me. That's a great way to live. So our money habits reveal what we really worship. Our money habits reveal who or what we worship. And as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Talking about money. It's important. We deal with money every day. So it's not something that we are never going to talk about. Money is important because, again, it's something we deal with daily. But money is the truest indicator of what's in our heart. It's been said by others that the last thing to get saved in a person is their wallet. We love to hang on to it. So what's your next step towards Jesus in light of this? First of all, don't try to give to Jesus until you first receive what he's offered you. The Bible says this, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus died on the cross for you. God loved you so much. He was generous towards you that he offered his son. Jesus died on the cross to take that penalty for our sin that you and I could never pay by ourselves. You can't earn God's favor by giving him money. You can't buy it. You don't earn his favor by going to church. You don't earn his favor by doing good deeds. The Bible says our sin separates us from God, and we need a Savior. And God has more than generously given us a Savior. Jesus hung on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have a right relationship with him. So before we give to God, first... I plead with you, receive what he has given to you and turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe Jesus died for me. He rose again. I'm clinging to him and he's the one I follow. Now, City View, what's our culture going to be? Will we choose to be a congregation that is generous with God? because he has been so generous to us? Will we choose to worship him with whatever we have and say, Lord, it's all at your disposal? 
or are we going to try to hide some of it from him and effectively steal from him? For all of us, will we choose to yield our heart to him and say, Lord, when I'm looking through my finances, I want you honored with everything I have. Show me what I should give to you, to your needs. Make me sensitive to the needs of those around me. You know, it truly is a blessing to give to those who are in need. Look for ways that you can bless others that God, with the things that God has blessed you with. We are like a church plant here at City View, and we want to grow because we have the most fantastic news the world could ever hear. Why keep it among ourselves here? Again, we want to build one another up. We want to bless our community. We want to send people and resources out for God's work. Let's be the kind of culture that's generous with everything that we have. So I'd ask all of us, would you prayerfully consider if God would have you dig a little or a lot into your bank accounts to say, what City View is doing here is important. I'm all in. Because God has given you what he's given you because he wants you to use it for his glory, for everything. To see our vision come through of building up one another, blessing our community and sending people out, that's going to require all of us to give generously. But as we seek to give generously, just remember, God has already been more generous than we'll ever be. As we seek to give generously, we can't outgive God. As we seek to give generously, we're going to experience the blessing of God, the contentment, and the joy that then we're naturally going to build up one another with that. We're naturally going to bless our community, and we're naturally going to send people and resources out, and it's going to cycle over and over again, and that's going to be awesome, and that's what we want. The joy that we will have as we say, Lord, this is amazing that you will take people like us and use us for your glory in this area and all around the world. That's the way we want to live. So let me be straight up with you. I want you to be generous in your giving. Tithing is important. Tithing shouldn't be our ceiling. But when I say I want you to be generous, it's not about me. I truly want to echo what the Apostle Paul said. When he said, not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is that more would be credited to your account. I pray that God would bless us as a congregation with a contentment and a joy that words can't describe. Because when we have that, we'll be unstoppable. You know, in regards to money, we like to hang on to what we've got. And there's a way in some parts of the world that monkeys are trapped. And let me tell you what they do. They will take a cage with narrow slats or they will take a gourd and put a small hole in it. And in that gourd or that cage, they'll put a piece of candy. And so the monkey kind of comes along and says, oh, candy. The monkey works his hands in, 
gets his hands on that candy and it hangs on to it and then it tries to go and it, it can't get out because its fist balled up around that thing which it thinks will give it so much happiness and joy keeps it trapped in the gourd. And we think, silly monkey, just let go of it. But in hanging on to what it thinks will give it joy, the monkey just sits there until the villager comes by and says, great, I've got a monkey. And we think, man, those monkeys aren't that bright. But you know, I find that we're a lot like those monkeys. We want to hang on to what we have because we can take better care of it than God can, or I need this. God is saying, if you want to experience the freedom that I offer, will you let go of it? Don't trap yourself in it. Have an open hand towards me and towards others. I will bless you more than you can imagine or more than you can dream. So my heart in this is that we would experience the blessing that God has to offer by trusting him with that which is probably the hardest to give up, our money. Say, Lord, it's yours anyway. Use it for your purposes. So for all of us, would you consider if God is calling you to dig a little deeper or a lot deeper? It's between you and God. I have no access to the financial records. None of the pastoral staff do, and we never will. It's between you and God, and it's an act of worship. And I pray that God would bless you more than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and I thank you that you have been so generous with us. You have given us a Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know him as Savior, that today will be the day they turn to him. Lord, for all of us, would you give us a fresh perspective and a fresh view of your generosity with us? Lord, I know for us being in church for a long time, we can take things for granted. We may hear things over and over, and we kind of get inoculated against them. But Lord, would you give us a fresh appreciation for your, joy, for your generosity and all you've done for us? Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that we would all examine our hearts and say, Lord, am I hanging on to too much? Should I release more to you? And Lord, as we do this, as we release and give to you what is already yours anyway, Lord, I pray that you would bless our people. I pray that we would have stories in the upcoming days, weeks, months, and years of how we've taken an extra step of faith and maybe given beyond what we were planning. And we see how you bless way more than we ever blessed the other person or the other ministry. Lord, may we be characterized by generosity just as you have been generous to us. Lord, you know all the needs of individuals in this congregation I pray that you provide. Lord, you know the needs that we have as a church here at City View, and we call on you to provide. 
Lord, thank you again for your generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.